What an exciting day to come together and worship through the preaching of God's word. Again, a big thank you for Dylan and for the work you put into this D-Now weekend and for Emily and all the administrative logistic work and Brother Randall for leading the music and being with us today. And uh, all of our leaders and host homes who opened up your home to some, some rowdy teenagers and uh, hope nothing was damaged. So put that on Dylan's tab. Um, but uh, God bless all of your efforts. This is a special day at Kirby Woods, as I have been alluding to over the past several months in these services and, and in the email newsletters that we send, that I believe the Lord is sending our church into a time of refining and restating our vision, our mission, our values. Now, certainly we have those things, but they are mostly in our hearts. They are in our oral traditions, uh, things that we all could say if pressed, but we might all say them a little bit differently. So my hope today in this sermon, the first in a short series entitled Clarity, is to relay to you what God has been doing in my heart over the last three to four months and what we're doing today. When I came as pastor of Kirby Woods in March of 2022, I made a promise to you at that time that for a year I had no interest in leading you to adopt any new statements or catchphrases or jingles or logos or five pillars or four truths or ten virtues or anything like that. Uh, not only had this church just come off of a period of a tough couple of years, uh, but this exact thing had been done about twice that I remembered in the last decade. Now, for most of the church's history, there was not a direct mission, vision statement per se, as most churches didn't have them uh, beyond the 2000s backward. Um, but there was a simple mantra that was said by church members, and many of you might remember, exalting the Savior, equipping the saints, evangelizing the sinner. Who remembers that? Okay, a lot of you do. That's not bad. That, I, got no, I got no gripes with that. In the mid-2010s, circa 2015, 2016, the church had contacted a consulting firm to come work through a vision framing process, and the church then adopted the statement, connecting all people to engage in the mission of Christ. How many of you remember that? Okay. It was, for a time, the vision statement of the church. Again, that's pretty good, and I think that was true of the church at that time. After a pastoral transition, that phrase was basically shelved, and a new fourfold mantra was adopted. Know Jesus, experience transformation, discover calling, and live missionally. And again, those things are all things that you want to do. Now, ideally, a church does not change its public presentation of its mission, branding, and logo every few years. That would be called in the business world confusing to your customers, right? So I really, really had to seek the Lord here and ask if what we needed to do was just adopt something that we've already done or if we needed something new. And if we needed something new, whether the motivation was for me to feel like I had put my stamp on Kirby Woods or because God was leading us into something new. This is what led me to study with you for over a year the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 20, to study the New Testament church, to hold it up as a mirror to ourselves and see if God would speak and say, that's who I want you to be in any particular place. And there were key moments in the book of Acts that I remember and I noticed and I wrote down when you resonated with a text and when I resonated with a text. Moments when I thought, this is, this is getting there. This is 
what we want. This is what I want for Kirby Woods. This is what I think God is saying to us. And tried to build from the Word of God a, a concept, the beginning. And so we wrapped that series in the late fall of last year. And, and at that time, and I, I had really been suppressing a lot of these, let's go, let's go for the gold, let's take off, let's new, 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 new. I've really been suppressing that stuff because of just wisdom. I just felt like that's not what we needed. And in the fall of last year, sort of took the governor off and said, Lord, I'm, I'm ready now to pray for what you want for Kirby Woods for the future, um, or what you would do among us. Now, when I say the Lord spoke to me, I want you to know what I mean by that, because I'm not just a Baptist for the food. I actually believe the stuff. Um, when, I'm, when I'm reading the word, uh, I will have what I call a lightning bolt moment. That's not registered trademark. That's just what I call it. Sometimes it's a word in the text. Sometimes it's a phrase or, or a sentence. But something said in the word of God will resonate with my soul, and I will just get an overwhelming sense of clarity. It's like, it's like truth is unlocked. It's like wisdom is given. It's like I then I understand the why behind things. It's like when the Grinch's heart was 10 times too small, then all of a sudden you just, whoa, I get it. And there's even times when I will clap my hands and do a little motion like that. There's times when I walk down the hallway and make the staff listen to these epiphanies, and, uh, and they know when it's coming. But I want you all to know that this vision that I'm about to describe for Kirby Woods, what I'm about to describe to you is not something that I got from a conference. It's not something that I saw another church doing or some model that I read from a book. My promise to you, with all the credibility and trust that I've sought to earn from you in these last two years, is that I believe God has given clarity about what he wants for us in the next season of Kirby Woods' vision to be. And I want to share that with you today. When I say the vision of Kirby Woods is, dot, 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 I want you to know how I define that word, because it may be different for, for different people. If this is in your notes, by the way. The main idea in your notes is what I'm about to say. A church's vision should be a future snapshot of the completed task that God has called that church to do. It should be supported by Scripture, unique to the spiritual gifts of that church, realistic enough to pursue, and challenging enough to inspire. That's what I believe a vision is, and when I use the word, that's how I'm defining it. So, so, in other words, if we were to actually succeed in accomplishing our mission as Kirby Woods, what would that look like? If we actually did it, if we were able to see the fruition of God's plan for Kirby Woods, what would a future snapshot of that look like? That's how I define a church vision statement. I want to walk with you today through the scriptures that guided me to this place. So before we do that, let's pray together. Lord, we ask your help today. This is a special day for our church. And God, we don't want to do it without you. So Lord, would you meet with us and would you stir every heart to your word? God, would you protect me from error? And would you allow me to convey to this body what you've been doing in my heart for the last few months? 
I pray that it would be honoring to you above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. Several scripture texts I want to look at today. Normally, I'm a walk through line by line in one text guy. You've seen that in the book of Joshua. That's not going to be today. We are going to bounce a bit because I want to show you a, a theme from scripture that we're going to latch on to. And my hope is that you will come to the conclusion that I have come to as I've studied the scriptures. Now, the first place I want to take you is the Great Commission. That's right. Let's just go to the big one right up front. The Great Commission, which is Matthew 28, 18. If you'd like to turn there, Matthew 28, 18. Many Christians, when they refer to the Great Commission, will tell you that it's an evangelism text. And to be clear, evangelism must be present. Even logically, think about this. To understand that you make a disciple means that someone wasn't a disciple and then they became a disciple. So inherent in it is evangelism. But often we get so excited, and I love excitement about evangelism, but often we get so excited about the first half of the Great Commission, we completely forget that there's a second half to it. What is Christ actually asking his followers to do? Look at Matthew 28, 18. This is the big thing that he said to do after he left. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Do you know how I know that Jesus didn't simply mean evangelize, baptize, and move on? I know this because he defines for us what make disciples means. He defines it right in there. Yes, evangelize them and baptize them. But then what? What's next? Somebody say it. Look down. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Can we let that sink in as the most underrated part of the Great Commission? Jesus, who spent three years teaching every day with his disciples, told them incredible amounts of behind-the-scenes information, told his disciples to go out into the world and repeat that. Go teach people how much? Teach them how much? All that I've commanded you. This is is somewhat of a reorientation to many who have never given weight to that second half of the Great Commission, to do the Great Commission. Listen, to do the Great Commission is to teach people how to obey Jesus Christ, to observe everything that he's commanded you. So, So we can say this, teaching Submission to the Lordship of Christ is the Great Commission. Teaching submission to the Lordship of Christ is the Great Commission. And how long could that take? How long does it take to have complete Lordship to Jesus Christ? Takes a while, right? Takes a little while to grow into that. It's a lifelong pursuit. So I began thinking about this, changing my mind on this, that that you are not a Great Commission church if discipleship to you means evangelism, baptism, and showing up to church. That is not a Great Commission church, no matter how much you say it, no matter how much you write it on your walls, no matter how much you plaster it anywhere. You're not a Great Commission church if you're not teaching people to obey all that Christ has commanded. This needs to be a growth happening, a maturing happening in our body. 
Jesus said that's what we're to be doing. You know, something similar happened when Peter had preached at Pentecost in Acts 2. Uh, We have the first case study, by the way, of this. So Jesus was theory. He talked about doing this. Then you turn a few pages to Acts 2, boom, they had to do it. Acts chapter 2, 2,000 people get saved after a sermon. They've been evangelized, and they were baptized. Then what happened? Well, that would be important, right? They didn't just send everybody home. Acts 2.42 says what the church first did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. So get this. New believers need to grow. I'm shocked. What did they do? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching because the apostles could tell them what Jesus said. They didn't have a Bible at the time. They had the Old Testament, but the apostles were the Bible for the first couple of years. They needed to know how to walk with Jesus, how to, how to be like Jesus. They needed to know how to interpret their Old Testament. They, knew what, they needed to know what lordship meant. Lordship, what does that mean? So the early church devoted themselves I remember back in Acts, we said that word devoted means in the Greek to persist obstinately in something. Persist obstinately. Stay on it. Do not get off of it. Somebody says, hey, why don't you stop doing that? You say, get off. Don't touch my bone. That's what that means. Persist obstinately. That's how we're supposed to be about the apostles' teaching and community and prayer. That's how we're supposed to be. Well, what about Paul's ministry? Look now at Colossians 1.28. We'll go a few decades past. The Jerusalem church has grown. Paul's ministry is completely different. He's not reaching Jews primarily. He's going out and planting churches in the Gentile world. He's traveling. He's planting churches. He's staying two weeks, two years, sometimes. When Paul went around the world... Colossians 1.28, when Paul went around the world, what did he want for the people in the church that he planted? What did he want for them? Now, I'll tell you this is the verse that gave me the lightning bolt moment. It's the one we memorized last month. It may not be revolutionary to you, but you know sometimes when you're reading God's word, he shows you something that you needed to see. Colossians 1.28 says, him, that is Christ, by the way, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So, so here Paul is telling the Colossian church, what he does. A summary of his ministry in a nutshell. He says, I proclaim Christ. So I come in, I herald the gospel. And then I tell people what to do and what not to do. He says, I warn people. That's the Greek, nutheo. And then I teach. That's didasko. So that's like admonishing, correcting. Don't do that. Hey, you guys been doing this. Stop it. That'll, that'll get you killed. That's not good. Then on this side, hey, here's what you actually do. Here's how to live the Christian life. He says, I do both of those things in all the wisdom that God gives me. I do those things to what end? Why do we do this? Why do we gather? Why do we 
come sit in classes? Why do we listen to podcasts? Why do we sit in front of our Bibles and read the word? He tells us that we might present everyone mature in Christ. Look at the end of verse 28. Mature in Christ. That's what I want to give you as the first point in these notes today. Maturity in Christ is the pursuit. Maturity in Christ is the pursuit. Bringing people to maturity in Christ is what Paul thought about. That in Christ they would stand complete. When before the throne I stand in him complete. That's what Paul thought about all day as the labor of his life for his people. Verse 29 says, I toil for it. I struggle for it. With all the energy God gives me, that's what I do. To take people who are far from God, proclaim Christ, teach them obedience to Christ, and see them walk, not as babies, but to grow mature in their faith. I don't want to make a congregation of babies just barely getting to heaven by the skin of their baby teeth. No. We want to see people grow to their full potential of who God would call you to be. Can I tell you, church, that's where God spoke to me. I had a deep sense of clarity like, this is it. This is Kirby Woods. This was my experience as a former member and intern of Kirby Woods years ago to come and join and plug in and not decline in my faith, not tread water in my faith, but to become mature in my faith. I became a mature follower of Christ because of this church as a member. The biblical preaching, the missions opportunities, the wealth of godly people who took the time to sit and pour into me, the church family that took me in and made me feel like I was at my home away from home. Memphis felt like home to me, not because of the barbecue, not even because of the seminary, which was really important in my life, but I'm telling you, it was Kirby Woods. It happened to me, happened to my wife, Abby. As she joined, she grew faster in one year than she had grown in 20-something years prior. And for many of you, how many of you would say that's my story as well? Many of you, that's exactly what you experienced when you came here. We can't promise as a church that we will offer every program for every stage of life, be all things to all people, have the best quality product in the church world. We cannot promise that. And that's not even our goal. I don't want Kirby Woods to get into an arms race with other churches as who can build the better mousetrap or who can have the most people in the seats. I don't want to measure success with the three B's. You know what they are, backsides, buildings, and budgets. Doesn't interest me. I don't want that as our measure of success. But what if, listen to this, what if our success was measured by whether we can move people toward maturity in Christ? What if that was our success? To grow people who know Christ and then actually go and live this thing out where it counts in the real world, when the pressure is on. That's success. That's success. It's kind of like raising kids. I mean, you, you pour and you pour and you want to see them grow and you want to see them reach a maturity, 
but you don't really see it until they go out and leave the house and get out on their own and see what actually happens when the testing comes. That's what I want for this church, that we grow and then we go out and we stand firm in this world. I read the New Testament several times preparing for this, trying to find key verses. And I will tell you, a a theme stood out to me that I noticed. You know when you see something, you start seeing it all over? When someone says, did you see the red car? Then you look and all of a sudden everywhere there's red cars. Something like that happened to me. I started noticing these verses that sound like this and they're everywhere. And I'll just give you five of them that I saw as I was reading through. Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk in the Lord. Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Colossians 2.6, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what are we supposed to be pursuing? What are we supposed to be doing? Mature in Christ, grow in him. And walk in him. Obey all that he has commanded for you personally, for your children and grandchildren, for your friends and neighbors, for the unsaved in your life, for the men down at the Memphis Union Mission, for the moms at One by One, for the men and women who take our ESL classes on Wednesdays, the people in Belgium and Central Asia in the Pacific Rim and Arizona where we send out missionaries. What we desperately want is for people to know what it's like to walk with the Lord. If you've tasted and seen that some food is good, you want everybody else to know about that food, don't you? What about when you taste and see that the Lord is good? We want everybody to know. If if I've hit this maturity in my life, and I'm not perfect, and I got room to grow, for sure, for sure, but if I look around and I see men struggling to get on ladder, uh, rung number one of the ladder, And I know I'm at least past rung one. I'm not at the top, but I'm past rung one. It should be a burning desire in my soul to see you get off the ground, to get moving, to get get closer to the Lord than where you are now. We don't want to be surface level at Kirby Woods. We want deep roots. As Isaiah 61 says, oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for his own glory. What Paul prayed in Ephesians 3.17, he says, I want Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You got to look around and say, you don't have that. You don't have that. And it bothers me that you don't have that because it's so awesome. I want you to have it. That's how we have to think. So church, if that's the beat of your heart, what wakes you up in the morning, what you want most for your neighbors or yourself, man, that's where we're going. Your pursuit is maturity in Christ. That's number one. Maturity in Christ is our pursuit. Now, how do we get there? How do we get there? Number two, equipping the saints is the process. Equipping the saints is the process. For this next part, you can turn to Ephesians 4.11, although you should have it memorized, right? 
This is our memory verse of the month. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 tells us this, that Jesus gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now let's break down what this means. The context is that God gifts his church with gifted people. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd, teachers. My job is probably somewhere between a prophet and a shepherd teacher, more like a shepherd teacher probably, but that's what I do. We probably have some gifted evangelists in the church. I know, I know at least two or three of you. I think the apostles had their time and place, and I don't think we have apostles today. That's just me personally. But these gifted people exist in the church. They may be pastors, elders, Bible study teachers, members that are great at evangelism or have a passion for it. And what's the goal of these people? What, why do y'all have me around? What, what's the point of this? Why do, you have, why do you go sit in a Sunday school class and listen to somebody else talk to you? Why? Well, why do we have Caleb upstairs with the kids right now? Why do we have Dylan doing D now with our students? What's the point of, what's the point of doing these things? Well, is it to, to do all the work ourselves while you watch us do the work as the professionals? Is that the goal? No. Verse 12 tells us why. We exist to equip you, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So, so everybody's actually supposed to be doing something. You're either equipping others or you're being equipped and doing the ministry. You're either growing and discipling others or you're being discipled and being grown and getting your hands dirty. You're either helping someone else move forward or you're on that path yourself and someone's helping you move forward. Look at what Paul says right next in Ephesians 4.13. We build up the body until what? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is what being equipped means. You have attained faith and knowledge of God to mature manhood, to fullness of Christ. I love that little footnote in my Bible. It says, by mature manhood, it says, literally a full-grown man. That's a great footnote, by the way. I appreciate that. Equipped Christians are mature Christians and have a knowledge of Christ. So ask yourself today, if you're a Christian, ask, am I mature in my walk with Christ? Am I a baby? Am I a boy in Christ? A teenager in Christ? A college student kind of floating between in Christ? Or am I a full-grown man in Christ? You say, how do I know what that means? How do I know what that looks like? Paul tells us, look no further. The next few verses tells what it looks like when you're not equipped. He's going to give two things. Here's what happens when you're not equipped. And here's what happens when you are equipped. He shows us two different visions of the future. So look at verse 14. Paul says, if you're not equipped, here's what it's going to look like. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So listen to that. When you're equipped, you're sturdy, steady, hardy, tough to knock down. Whether it's Satan's spiritual warfare, the deception of a false teacher in your life, or just 
people and circumstances that want to pull you away from the Lord. Paul says when you're equipped, you are protected against that. Your spiritual immune system is built up. You shouldn't be like spiritual cotton candy in a rainstorm. Mature Christians have a toughness to them, a resilience that when you are knocked down, you get back up in the Lord. If you've ever been to the beach, um, you know what it's like for waves to knock you over. Anybody just been embarrassed at the beach and a wave took you out in front of all your friends? Anybody ever been there? Maybe it was a little more than you thought it was going to be. To use Paul's illustration, imagine I I go down to the water at the beach. and We need some waves, so we'll say the Atlantic side, okay? Um, I'm a Gulf guy myself. Grew up in Florida. You know how it is. Um, Pristine. Anyway, uh, other people go to the Atlantic side, brown sand. You you get it. So so there we are um, down at the water. And imagine I go down there with my four-year-old son, and we're both standing in the water, about knee-deep water where it's breaking, the white water is peeking over and hit, it hits you, you know, kind of bodies you a little bit. For a child, it doesn't take much to, for a wave to knock them down, does it? I mean, just boop, they go right over, just like a bowling pin. But what if I was standing there and you guys were watching and I was standing there and a, and a wave came through and hit me in the kneecaps and I flew backwards like a, like a Mack truck had just hit me. You'd be a little embarrassed for your pastor there, wouldn't you? You'd say, not a good look. Need a search committee to get together. Not good. You'd be embarrassed. Why? Because I'm a grown man, right? I'm a grown man. I should be strong enough at this stage in my life to stand in knee-deep water and, and endure a wave or two without getting knocked backwards. That's what Paul is saying. We want to be equipping Christians who are not just armchair theologians, but can actually go out into the dark world and stand against the forces of the enemy, who can actually push back darkness with the gospel, who can handle themselves in a discussion with an unbeliever, who can handle the pressure at work when the company threatens to make you do something that Christians cannot do, when they tell you, fly that rainbow flag or else use the pronouns that don't line up with reality, in those moments when it's uncomfortable and your, your chest gets a little heartbeat going and your throat gets a little tight and you're uncomfortable, that's when it counts. That's when it matters. The wave crashes, but the house built on the rock will stand. And that's what we want to do here is to give you that confidence, to build that into you. That's the negative side. That's what happens if you're unequipped. He says next what happens when you're equipped, and it's really good stuff. Look at Ephesians 4, 15. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Equipped people grow into Christ, and when you get that together in a body, you grow together. So you grow up and you grow together at the same time. And equipped people become a functioning body so that Christ can call us to do things together. That's the beauty of this thing. It's like maturing in Christ is like compound interest. It's a beautiful thing. When you get a significant portion of your church equipped in Christ, the body starts to grow on its own. It starts to teach itself. It starts to grow together. 
you start to see where the gifts are aligned and what you have and what you don't have, and it starts to come together. And it's like, at some point, I'm a pastor sitting back being like, run, let's do this thing. That's where you want to get. Equipped people grow into Christ and we walk forward in him. So we've said maturity in Christ is the pursuit. We've said equipping the saints is the process. Now I want to go to the final thought here. What's the end goal? The end goal. Number three, limitless obedience is the purpose. Limitless obedience. The question that I really want you to simmer on here for a moment is this. When you have a person or a group of people who is equipped, trained up, taught, they know what's right and wrong, they know the Lord, they love the Lord, they love the body. When you have that Christian, what can you do? I'll ask it a different way. What can a mature disciple of Christ do? The answer, anything the Lord calls you to do. When you're equipped and mature in your faith and you know what it means to walk with the Lord, you can go to the Lord with a blank check in your hand and a yes on the table and say, Lord, whatever you ask, the answer is a pre-yes. Pre-yes. To a mature question. There's no saying I can't. Yes, you can. There's no, Lord, I'm not ready. Moses tried that. Lord, I can't talk. Get out there. When you're equipped, all that's left is to walk up to the Lord and say, yes, Lord, whatever you call, I'm here, I'm ready, let's go, I'm equipped. What do you want to do? Imagine living your life saying, I'm all in, Lord, you say it, it's done. Imagine living your life that way. That's what I want for you, to be unlimited by training, to be unbound by immaturity, to have all the arsenal of God's tool belt at your disposal and a willingness to use it up for him. Some of y'all are musicians. You'll get what I'm about to say. Let me, use a, let me use a music illustration here. What kind of music can a mature, equipped, experienced musician play? Anything they want, right? Anything they want. So, so let's say, let's say I'm an amateur beginner drummer or guitar player, all right? I may be able to play some introductory church music, some, some, some four-chord Chris Tomlin songs, right? I got G, E minor, C, and D. I got those covered, all right? I can play a pocket beat for you. Got you covered. You need this? I got it. All day, Okay? So, let's say I got that covered. What if Bobby comes to me? Is, I know Bobby's somewhere in the room. Wave your hand out, Bobby. I need you. There you go. Let's say Bobby comes to me, and he says, uh, Pastor, how would you feel about coming on our mission trip with the Metro Big Band to Cuba and playing in, with an orchestra, jazz and swing and big band standards from the 40s and 50s? Now, listen, it's complicated stuff, difficult key changes, you know, a lot of difficult rhythms, a lot of this, a lot of that. Can you handle it? All right. You know what I got to do in that, in that situation? I got to say respectfully, 
I'm going to have to decline because all I got is this. This is all I got. <laughs> I'm not equipped for that. Can't do that. I'm not mature in music for that. Listen to this. With immaturity comes limitations. With maturity and growth comes freedom. When you're equipped, you can say yes to any opportunity the Lord opens for you. And that's what I want for every single member of Kirby Woods, a limitless church not bound by immaturity. I want to read Psalm 1 as we move toward a close here. The psalm says in, in different words what I've been saying to you. This, by the way, well, since I've said this, you're going to see it on every page of the Bible now, now that you look for it. But there's a path in life that leads to being tossed around, weak, being considered a child at any age, blown by the wind. And then there's a picture of strength and life and health and growth and maturity in Christ. And Psalm 1, maybe better than any other part of Scripture, tells that story. Listen to this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Imagine a church, ladies and gentlemen, where each member is mature or becoming mature in Christ, like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit, deep roots, rooted, established in the faith. Its leaf does not wither. Jeremiah 17, 7 says it a different way. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for the leaf remains green, and it is not anxious in the year of the drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So we've said maturity in Christ is the pursuit. Equipping the saints is the process. Limitless obedience is the purpose. And I believe this concept is the snapshot of who we can be in the future and why I think it is a vision worth adopting. It's scriptural. It's unique to who we are and who we have been. It's realistic enough to pursue and challenging enough to inspire. So the vision statement that will guide us in the near future that I'm going to propose to you today is this. A church where every member is on a path toward maturity in Christ and is equipped to follow him wherever he leads. Kirby Woods, can you get behind this? My hope is that this will become part of our shared culture together. And that this will drive us to be the church that walks worthy of Christ. And as we are all equipped in him, we, we live with that obedience, that willingness to follow the Lord wherever he calls us to go. It may be the ends of the earth. 
on, on the mission field. It may be as a pastor. It may be as a Bible study teacher. It may be as a faithful evangelist. It may be as a Christian parent who raises their kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It may be as an encourager in this body. It may be as someone who is hospitable and opens their home and has new people come in and and loves on people. It may be someone who counsels others who are hurting with wisdom. The beautiful thing about this vision is that I don't have to strong arm everything the church does. It's about the body seeking the Lord and serving him wherever he leads. Whatever the Lord calls you to do to serve him, we want to equip you to do that. We want to equip you to walk mature in Christ. So may it be said of Kirby Woods, the same thing that Paul wanted for his church, we want for our members, that we might present everyone mature in Christ. Let's pray together.